This is Coda Radio, episode 405 for September 26, 2022. Hello, friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. From Sacramento, California, my name is Chris, and joining us from his podcasting base, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. How are you in sunny CA? Warm. It is warm here. It is like in the mid-90s, you know? So I'm getting like the last little surge of summer, but we're doing all right because listener Jeff hooked us up with a great little spot and some power hookups. So I got the air conditioners going. I really can't complain. You know, it's pretty it's pretty comfortable as far as mid-90s go. And it's been a good trip. We've already done two of the meetups, so we're halfway done. And that's been really exciting. They've gone well. At one of them, I got there early and managed to get a whole dinner too, which was great. You know, a little barbecue. And they're, we're doing breweries the whole way. So there's always great drinks. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Our next meetup is this Friday as uh, we release 6 p.m. at the uh, Congregation Alehouse in Pasadena, which will be just after our JPL meetup. So there's just so much going on. I have been running nonstop. I'm talking like getting up at 3.45 a.m., 3.30 a.m., 6 a.m. since we got off the air last week. It's been a mad dash. Vacation it is not. <laughs> uh, but guess what? We did get an email into the show. And uh, it's a little spicy. So why don't we just kick the show off with a spicy take? Let's do some spice. Thrill 64, or I'm sorry, Thrill 46 via Matrix wrote in, Hey, Mike and Chris, long time, first time. Have I been duped? I bought a PinePhone Pro and their Rock Pro 64, and I own a PineBook Pro. Wow, you're all in. And all of them have been sold as basically developer editions. I bought them thinking an army of developers would be creating software for these devices. And then soon after, we'd see a generation of consumer devices ship that would create a user base. But here we are, years later, and most everything they make is still in beta mode. I'm not sure anything is close to mainstream adoption, and I feel silly for buying these, quote, developer devices. Developer for who? Has it all been a scam? Is it a scam? No, right? It's not a scam. It's really, really hard to start a developer ecosystem in the age of the giant, shall we say, oligopoly ecosystems that exist. And I kind of think the Pinebook, I don't know much about the phone, but I feel like a lot of the energy behind the Pinebook has kind of been taken by the framework laptop too in recent years. Is that a fair assessment, Chris, of the kind of the tinkerer crowd or... Yeah, I could see that. You know, the the dream of the Pinebook was that Rock Pro 64 platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of feel what what they're saying here. Like for example, they're selling the Pinephone Pro Explorer edition, but it really isn't any more refined than the previous Pinephone that wasn't a Pro that they called the developer edition. Like nothing really changed. The software state is really kind of the same. And they kind of always wave it away by saying with a little note on there, say, well, you know, we're, we're really transparent and upfront. The Pine Phone Pro Explorer Edition is aimed at Linux developers with extensive knowledge of embedded systems or experience on mobile Linux. And I kind of see what he's saying. It's like they always are promising, well, these are for the developers today. You'll get your hands on it. And then later down the road, we'll make better versions that regular people can buy, normals, except for that never comes. It's just this perpetual beta for all of the products. 
And it's kind of like they've just come up with this way of saying, well, but if we just tell them it's just aimed at early adopters, then it's fine that it's not ever a complete product. Maybe that's true. Maybe, but, you know, all right, this could have happened with other platforms too, right? And I feel like if you're jumping in super early, you're taking the risk reward of, I'm coming in super early, probably going to be a nothing burger, this new platform. But if it does take off, then I'm in there on the ground floor, right? And you could really, if you're a developer yourself uh, for the writer, take huge advantage of that. And if you're a user, well, then, you know, you get to be one of the first users on the platform, which is kind of cool. Having said that, but basically, if you're looking for like an app store ecosystem, I don't think you're going to get that. I I do think the alternative to the big oligopolies or the duopoly is going to be like the web, right? PWAs or... Yeah. I still have dreams about WebAssembly. Um, more, you know, literally websites, right? Web apps that are just hosted somewhere. The future, you mean? The future is <laughs> the future is 2006. You know, one thing that does strike me, uh, Kiron, I'm, I'm probably saying that Chiron actually, uh, in the Matrix chat says, developing for the Pine Phone is a nightmare. All of the OS providers have done things differently. Yeah, give that a ding. I wrote a hack for a for Posh that meant that the phone would wake on call properly, but it only works on Mobian and post-market OS. Everything else is weird. The battle between Qt and Gnome is one that needs to be won as well. That's also a great point. That 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 terror between GTK and Qt on mobile is even more acute. And there's there's a lot of effort on both sides, and they're not really super compatible environments in terms of look, flow, and feel. Like, Pine could never... Never, never make pull that off. Yeah. right. They're not going to be able to change that, and oh, there. So they have to wait for upstream, and upstream is too busy fighting between toolkits. So they're not really fighting, but they're just too busy, really doing their own things to make something cohesive that a hardware manufacturer like Pine could ship. Right. So this sounds like the Android fragmentation issues on steroids, basically. I think so. I mean, over time, things in Android have gotten better, but that took the commercial hands of Google to like work with vendors to create the treble project to work mm. on the AB boot system. Um, you know, it's funny last night, listener Jeff and I flashed my pixel three to graphene OS, which is an alternative. Did Google you get any free. beads? <laughs> no, maybe, maybe once I, once I get a few more apps working, that's when I unlock the beads. It's not bad, man. It's not bad. It, you know, you're definitely limited without Google play services, but if you wanted just a basic smartphone with some, you know, I mean, there's F-Droid and Aurora Store. There's some. I have Nextcloud on here. I've got VLC. I've got Canine Mail, Element Chat. I've got an open source fork of Telegram. I've got a Chrome fork that's de-Googled. I got an open source keyboard that's pretty good. You know, I, honestly, it's not that bad. They they can really do something with. This. I don't know how far they can really ever get away from Google. They're always going to be subject to Google. But this just seems like the way we should have gone. This is where the community should have focused, is things like Graphene OS. We should have just acknowledged it. I don't know if these na Linux native environments or this Linux native hardware like the Pine stuff is ever going to have more than a few thousand users, you know, tens of thousands of users at most. It's just never going to get that. It's never going to get that critical mass. I've just had to come to accept that. And so now I'm kind of looking at things like Graphene OS and thinking, boy, we probably should have just gone this way all along. I'm still waiting for my Firefox phone. Are you getting a 14? Did you tell? Did you? Are you skipping it? I am. I. I mean, I'm not getting one now, right? Uh, you know, I could always drop my phone. 
Right. Now, why haven't you just gotten their uh, their upgrade program? You know, I've been uh, avoiding the upgrades. I'm still on a 12 Pro. I bet you that upgrade program would be a write-off for you. It would, but honestly, the last time I upgraded, I think I upgraded from an 11 to a 12 Pro, and I screwed up one of my TFA apps, and that created such a hassle. So and I use my phone as an actual phone slash overcast player. <laughs> I just don't care that much, right? Like, I am noticing the battery health, you know, over the two and a half years, whatever it's been, it's telling me it's like not, it's 80% now. If I got one, I think I'd want the Max in purple, which one is, I did, I did have one on the car. I did look, but it's like, it's late October and it's also like 1100 bucks. So it just doesn't feel worth it to me. How about you? Or you're on the upgrade thing, aren't you? Yeah, I decided to do it, but I actually intentionally waited because I don't want it to arrive until end of October because I'm on this trip. Right. Yeah, I think it's good. You know, they get they got me. They'll go. They'll almost always get me with the camera, and they got me with the satellite calling. And then I'm actually downsizing, so I think I'm actually going to save a little bit of money because the the payment scales to the size of phone you get. But yeah, I we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Graphene OS will work out. I'm skeptical, but I'm hopeful. I really like the original Pixel 3 is the perfect size phone. It's perfect. It fits in my hand so well. It fits in my pocket. It's a little tall. It's a little narrow. It's such a thing of beauty. It. It. I think it might be the best Pixel ever. The Pixel 3, not the 3A. The 3A is fine, but I have the Pixel 3. I'm telling you, if I could replace the battery in this and be happy with Graphene OS, I would try to make this my primary phone. It's just such a beautiful size. So I'm hopeful. We'll see. Maybe maybe, maybe the iPhone 14 will be my last iPhone. <laughs> here's, my, here's my spicy prediction. Uh-huh. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right on that one. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's just a great way to support the show. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible. Linode is our cloud hosting provider. It's where we deploy everything we've built in the last few years, and we love the fact that Linode's performance, price, and support are all there just the way we like them. And we love the fact that you can tell they're Linux geeks, too. That's really what got them to build Linode nearly 19 years ago. And now today, here they are, 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers out there that have really specific platforms with specific features and languages that really just want to lock you in. Linode's an alternative cloud provider. Massive infrastructure, 11 data centers around the world. They are their own ISP. They have a fully functional, clean, easy-to-use API. They integrate with your infrastructure management, and they can give you a full Linux platform that you can manage. And on top of that, they have one-click deployment applications that are really simple. And they have a bunch of great services on the back end that you might want to use, too. I, personally, I use the snot out of the S3 storage. They have S3-compatible object storage. And I've just discovered yet another use for it. I have Duplicati, which is a great Linux backup application. And you can just point it directly at S3 object storage, like Linode's. And it's just so fantastic, the flexibility you get with that. You combine that with the API, and the command line client that lets you easily create buckets and move files around. It's it's just a great way to share files in general for us here at JP. But on top of that, the performance of their systems is just absolutely fantastic. If you Google search cloud CPU benchmarks and you look at the results that Linode has put out from an independent study provider, but Linode's hosting it up on their website, 
The report reveals how the different VPSs and cloud providers stack up and how much faster Linode systems are. It's a great report. It's from Cloud Spectator. It's their CPU benchmark report. You can go look that up or you can go find it on Linode's website and you can see how Linode's performance stacks up. Then you combine that with PCIe, MVME storage. The fact that they are their own ISP means their, their connections scream, right? And then you realize the pricing. It all comes together with Linode. That's why we use it. I think you'll love it. Go try it out. It's fast, reliable cloud hosting. You got to try it for yourself or your next project. So go get that $100, support the show, and kick the tires for yourself. Linode.com slash coder. That's Linode.com slash coder. All right, Mr. Dominic, you are back on the Linux train. Been using it for just over a month full time, I believe, you know. Yep. You've gotten some hardware. So I think that's definitely played a factor. The Dev1 and the Thalia, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, tell me what it's been like living the Linux life full time again. Uh, you know, it's been pretty smooth. I'm I'm living that Pop OS life. The uh, the Thalia, of course, and the Dev1 come pre-installed with it. Um, I am mastering the tiling keyboard shortcuts, which is a just a much better way to handle the whole tiling thing in Path. Um, I'm liking it. it. You know, it's funny. I was getting irritated with Monterey, Mac OS Monterey, and some of the weird changes that Mac continues to make to the Unix tools because they they have to. I don't know why. Right? They always they always are making changes. They're always making like strange Apple specific things. I think a lot of it has to do with their developer tool chain goes through Xcode. Every time you update Xcode, crazy shit happens to like your your C headers. But yeah, so decided I try it out again, and honestly, a a big factor in me purchasing this Thalia was I did briefly try a review unit, and I kind of missed tactical strategy RPGs, and of course MTG Arena, which also runs on Mac. But I love it so far. I mean, it's been very good. I wrote a review of it. It's pretty, it's pretty fast. That's it's. I mean, it's got to be the fastest machine I've ever owned for day-to-day what I do. Well, starting with the Linuxy side, right, the Pop! OS side, the only thing I'm noticing is some of the more interesting newer tools, like in particular Warp Terminal, don't have Linux versions. And that's been kind of a minor annoyance. Having said that, the version of Bash on uh, I think I'm on 22.04, does autocomplete significantly better than the version of Z Shell on macOS. So it's less of a hole in my day-to-day life, but it's still there. I mean, every once in a while, I'll get the like the, some of the JetBrains tools. I feel like they render the fonts too smallly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, I have been very happy. I have notably not installed any additional extensions on GNOME. Oh, yeah, okay. Because I just decided to avoid that problem and stick with one desktop background. Have you ever played around with the fish shell? I have. We covered it like for yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty great on Linux. You know, a lot of good auto completion in there and stuff like that. It's great, but I'm lazy, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I'm having a. I I am having a tougher time with Pop. I, I mean, okay. I love our friends over at System Seventy Six, but I am having a. I have I have a harder time because I I've been using traditional GNOME for a while now so switching back to cosmic and like not having the gestures to swipe to horizontal workspaces i have found has been a little tricky because one of the things that i have really ingrained with my gnome shell usage is 
every major application window should probably have its own virtual desktop. And that's really doable on like a laptop screen when you're swiping sideways between virtual desktops. And I just kind of, I find that workflow falls down with the cosmic layout. But, um, so you've been, so you've, you've now you've been using desktop Linux on the dev one. You've now used it on the Thalia, which is a beast. I'll talk more about my experience with the Thalia because I got one for review as well. And I ran a ton of tests against it, but I'm just curious to, to just get to capture what is it for you that, or is there a difference between using desktop Linux on the Dev One and using desktop Linux on the Thalio? Just the form factor differences. Anything? I was thinking actually in performance, and if you can feel a difference, if you can tell between the hardware, or if it kind of the interface is just sort of fast, regardless. Just that kind of impressions. I mean, the Dev One is pretty fast. Uh, I would say this is kind of horrible. This is maybe damning with faint praise, but. The reason I'm able to use the Dev One instead of a MacBook finally as my day-to-day driver for a laptop, you know, when I'm like working at a bar, coffee shop, or whatever, is, or even just like in my kitchen because six-year-old, the speakers, the onboard speakers, don't make me want to stab myself in the ears. <laughs> they are the they are the best Linux laptop speakers, I think. Right, which I would even say like I had the Gen One XPS and then I had a later generation XPS was was not uh, the case. Um. You know, I kind of use the Thaleo for different things, right? Like the Dev One, it's kind of sad because I spent uh well, we could you you have the link in the notes, but you could see the uh, Neo Fetch for the Thaleo. I spent like twenty one, twenty two hundred on the Thaleo, and I use it a lot less than I do the Dev One. Ah, sure. But when I'm using it, it's definitely heavier workloads. It's usually something where I'm you know, using a Windows client application that we developed, hooking into a local host version of some Python or Ruby API that we wrote running on the Linux host VM, right? So it's a, like a Windows 10. I'm still using Windows 10 for my VM because, you know, why not? And a Linux and the Pop! OS host to do local API testing without, you know, touching the actual database on any staging server or production. I think that's great. I mean, I like that workflow. That's a little much to ask of the Dev One, I feel. Though I'm sure it's possible it would just lag a bit, right? Yeah, I think your your impression is correct. I was shocked at a couple of the jobs that I tested, just how much faster the Thalia was, that I thought the Thalia failed to do the test. But, you know, when you look at the benchmarks, and I'll, I'll link to a couple of them in the show notes, and the cool thing about these is you can actually then... There's a command in that link where you can run that exact benchmark against your system and see how it compares to the Dev One and the Thalia that I tested against. And you, when you look at those benchmarks, it's almost what you'd expect. The Dev One delivers a lot for eleven hundred dollars. The Dev One is just like very impressive. It just can't touch what the Thalia can deliver for like twenty five hundred dollars or twenty seven hundred dollars or however you configure it, right? And you just that really bears out in the testing. I mean, they're just, there's that reality of it. In fact, when I was looking at it, the Dev1 and the Thaleo were pretty neck and neck on things that were like disk IO related. So if your job involves a lot of IOPS and disk IO stuff, you're not going to see a huge increase with the Thaleo unless you bought like a very fast drive for the Thaleo. But if you go with like the stock parts on, on both of them, when it comes to things that are disk bound, they're just about matched. The Thaleo is a little bit faster. Obviously, when it comes to CPU bound stuff, that's where the Thaleo can really, 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 really pull ahead. 
That's not the whole story, though, I found. So I, I, I have some negatives. In fact, I have uh, kind of like a killer for me, perhaps, on the Thalia, a fatal flaw, if you will. But I, I'll get to that in a moment. I'm just curious to know, now that you've kind of deep-dived into Linux again, just before we move to finalize on the hardware stuff, what have you found that isn't working for you very well? What have you found that still seems to be busticated? So I'd say a few things. I did, so I, pl- I was playing Civ Five with some of the System76 folks and some other community people. And I, I think this is not Pop or Ubuntu's fault. I think this is more the developers of the Civ Five port of Linux, because it was the native version, not the Windows version. Just like never imagined GPUs with more than eight, eight threads or eight cores. Uh, yeah, had to go in there, edit an INI file, which it just feels very Linuxy, right? Having to vim in to get a game to work. I remember doing that for World of Warcraft years ago, having to just change a bunch of settings via vim. You know, everything was kind of working out of the box. I'd say a big thing I've done differently is I gave up on my irrational hatred of Flatpak. And I've just embraced the Flatpak lifestyle with boy, with the exception of VS Code still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, VS Code, I agree. Because I need I need it to be able to hit parts of the system that they write. Yep. I agree with you on that. Yeah, if you embrace Flatpak and you're on GNOME, it is just an easier life. Things are just a little simpler. And those applications break less, too, because they're not tied to all the other system dependencies. Yeah, I would say, like, the only... The only okay, I had two issues so far in about a month. One is literally right before we came on the air, I had plugged in the, I don't know what you call it, Chris, the, the U22 thing, the Zoom. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. The U22. Yeah, the, the little, yep. The U22. And for whatever reason, Pop couldn't pick it up, so I just had to reboot. And then I picked it up. I have no idea why. Mm, yeah. 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 That's, it could be, you know, Pop is using Pipewire now. Okay. And we've also hit a couple of issues with Pipewire. It's just new stuff. I occasionally notice that it incorrectly. And this is only on the Thalio, so I'm not sure what's up with that. Will take my Wi-Fi to 2.4 megahertz or gigahertz, whatever it is, instead of five, which cuts the speed in half. But again, I disconnect the Wi-Fi and reconnect it. And it's fine, and it only seems to happen after like I let it go to sleep. But I haven't been able. It's only happened like twice in a month, so I'm not sure if that's yeah, like interference because I don't know how well this will age. But we, there's currently a hurricane coming to where i live in florida so all the kids are out of school and so everybody right now every both kids are like gaming away right one's on a nintendo one's on an xbox you know everything's got an online connected drm bull thing so it might just be my router is currently getting smacked around a little bit i've had that on the dev one recently okay i've had the the wi-fi not reconnecting and i'm on nix too i'm not on pop anymore Mm. okay so that's weird yeah maybe it's a kernel driver issue tailscale.com slash coder that's where you go to get a personal account for up to 20 devices for free and that's not just like a limited time thing and it's a great way to support the show as well so tailscale is a zero config vpn just about everybody must know about tailscale right now because i feel like it's been changing the remote networking landscape for the last year just changing the way people do work it manages firewalls for you it takes care of nat for you and you can get it installed on your device be it computer, uh, a server, um, a phone, a Raspberry Pi, I don't know, a a VPS, (laughs) a VM, a container, home assistant. I mean, you can get it up and running within minutes. You quickly and easily create a secure, flat mesh network between your systems powered by WireGuard's noise protocol. Yep. 
It's a WireGuard mesh network, and they have a bunch of great features inside of there as well, like TailScale Send. You can use TailScale Send as sort of like airdrop for all of your TailScale devices, so you can send files between them easily. And then there's TailScale SSH. That also, just part of TailScale, it allows you to establish an SSH connection between your devices. You're not moving around SSH keys like an animal. <laughs> no, you're you're actually authenticating your SSH connection using WireGuard. It's pretty awesome, you guys. And you can try it up for free to 20 devices to really get a sense of this thing and see how intelligent it is. Like when you're moving files between devices, if they're on the same LAN, TailScale knows that. And it does it over the LAN. You can use your TailScale IPs. It'll be protected, but they can transfer directly to each other. And it's not going to just route all of your traffic over the tunnel. TailScale intelligently chooses what traffic is supposed to go to the TailScale network. You know, it's TCP IP. It knows how this can work. You just needed software to do it right. That's TailScale. Then you combine that with their single sign-on support. You combine that with the fact that they have ACL controls that allow you to share certain machines or just certain ports with individuals. It's so powerful. It'll change how you do VPNs forever. So go try it out. Tailscale.com slash coder. One more time. Tailscale.com slash coder. The big thing that we haven't mentioned is the Thaleo has seen a redesign of its case. You touch on this in your review. They've taken away that wood veneer side and they've replaced it with more of a customizable strip that you can put different looks on it's a clean sharp look i like it i could see wanting one that's custom branded for events you know what i'm talking about yes i do yeah so i like the new design uh, i was sent the uh the thaleo the regular small thaleo um did you end up now but you got a review unit let's talk about this for a moment you got a review unit i think you got a similar one with a different graphics card and you turned around and said okay great i'll buy one so which one did you actually get and what made you decide to pull the trigger on buying it so I actually got the wrong review unit. <laughs> oh, interesting. I got somebody else's review unit, so I had to send it back anyway. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to buy one anyway, so I'll just buy it. I literally bought the first production one off the line, I was told. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, well, if you're buying it when the review units are going out. yeah. <laughs> Since I bought it before it came out. The difference between this and the review unit is the review unit was more of a base model. This is slightly upgraded. I went for a slightly bigger GPU, and I went up to 32 gigs of RAM. Obviously, you can max it out at 64. I know I've already heard from people who want to know why I didn't just do that. The <laughs> answer is I didn't feel like spending the money that second. Sure. While you're looking it up, I'll tell you what my review unit was. So mine came with the AMD Ryzen 9 5900X 12 core, uh, base clock of 3.7. They can peak up to like four something, though. 32 gigs of RAM, uh, one terabyte Samsung SSD 980 Pro. I had the NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3060 Ti 8GB card in there. And for most of my review, I was running Nix. For some of it, I was running Pop. Uh, but Nix OS with kernel 5.19.6, so the latest kernel, ButterFS on the hard drive, and NVIDIA 5.15.48.07 as my NVIDIA driver. And uh, so it's a pretty beefy rig. You know, that 3060 Ti is no slouch. And that Ryzen 9 5900 12-core is no slouch either. So how, how are you finding it for, I, I'd be very curious for like video encoding if you're doing any of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a screamer for sure. It exceeds any of like my requirements by far. It really does. I, I really pushed this thing. I was very, very impressed. I don't know if you noticed this, but it gets warm. To the touch? Let me see. If you really push it, if you push both the GPU and the CPU, 
it gets really warm. Really? And if you look at the internal design of the thing, and I'm, I'm not saying it's dangerous, but I'm saying it's warm. If you look at the internal design of the thing, there's an intake fan on the bottom that's blowing upwards from the bottom of the case. Yes. And it's blowing over the GPU. And then there's an intake fan above the GPU that's sucking in for the CPU. So I reason that you're essentially blowing hot GPU air into the CPU air intake. And so you get to a point where the CPU just cannot fully cool itself. So it begins to thermal throttle pretty quickly when you're pushing both systems. Now, even thermal throttle, this thing, and I have it in the benchmarks, <laughs> it's a killer. But it is nonetheless thermal throttling. And if you stress the CPU and the GPU, like maybe you're doing a machine learning analysis job, something like that, training some models, the whole case gets warm to the touch. Um, you know, that the RAM gets in the 80 Celsius degrees temperature. Uh, the CPUs are getting to their max. All of it is within spec. I want to stress that. But it got a lot warmer than I expected. And when you're pu when you're pushing that 3060, it's no joke, man. That machine is taking over 300 watts of power to run the CPU and the GPU at full tilt. So it is a massive draw. And when it's idle, when you're not running the GPU and you're just kind of doing your day-to-day -day stuff, it's still in the 100-watt range. And that's just the reality still of the x86 platform. This is not a knock against the Thaleo. That's just the nature of this platform. It's just striking when you're comparing it to, like, say, a MacBook Pro Ultra Max whatever, and you run some of the same tests, and the MacBook Max Ultra Pro whatever never audibly kicks its fans up, never gets warm to the touch, and still does really well in the benchmarks. And it's uh, using maybe 30 watts to do all of that. And the Thale is using 300 watts. It's getting better performance, but it's not like in the next galaxy better. And so for me, ultimately, I think I would want a bigger Thaleo. I'd want a larger Thaleo. So there was more maybe room between the components to cool things. Not that I think it's really a problem, but if I'm buying a machine like this, I want it to last eight years and I don't necessarily want to heat soak the RAM, the North Bridge and some of the CPU components. So I would probably get a little bit bigger Thaleo. And for me, that was kind of a uh, the fatal flaw and why I didn't order one because I am in desperate need of a of a improved studio setup. I am going to spend some time running this as an OBS machine and just putting it under that workload where it's doing streaming, it's doing some capture, but it's not going to max it out. And I want to see what the thermals are under that load. They may be completely acceptable in that scenario because I want to underscore when I'm looking at these high thermals, I'm rendering what I did is, for an example, is I had FFmpeg rendering a video on a couple of cores while I played a video game, not like a crazy video game like CSGO. Right. And this machine can easily, oh, yeah. easily handle that kind of load. And I could get I could get into thermal th throttling territory within five minutes in that scenario. Just things like that. And then I just tried different benchmarks and different tests. Again, even thermal throttled, it's still a monster. But, you know, it's just something to be aware of. And I I think it's in part because it's just it's a small unit. The base Thaleo is adorably small. It's kind of like peak PC design in a way. It's a great case. It's a great size. The, the revisions to this case with that with that new replaceable strip, but also the back paneling just is cleaner. They've labeled the ports. They've really embraced the ports on this Thaleo. 
and the case is really solid and they've also included brackets and and things that really clamp the gear down like the gpu and stuff like that so it doesn't fall off in shipping so it's a really solidly built pc it's just also very small with extremely powerful components packed in there and they're all running within spec they're all absolutely within spec but it's a little hotter than i expected and over 300 watts is a little more than i expected it's all it's all doable yeah it's interesting because they also make a different body and i wonder one of my questions when configuring mine was how what effect because it's the same case do the different gpus have on thermals i care less about thermals than you because you know what i care about right speed and no sound no sound yeah fan noise yeah Uh, now the last alio i tested was the first first gen alio and that definitely i think i had a i had a whole blog post you could it sounded like an aircraft carrier uh this is much improved but i would note that my gpu is an amd ati also neofetch terrible terrible output here device 743f that means nothing except it just means that it's like the baby amd gpu <laughs> so i'm not seeing now i have my hand on i'm not feeling any kind of thermal pressure Right. Again, we're just doing squadcasts right now, so and I have what? Yeah, not not bad, right? And exactly, if you're just pushing one of the subsystems, like most video games, once they're loaded up, they don't really push the CPU a whole bunch. And no, when you've got like 24 virtual cores to work with, only a couple of them are doing anything. <laughs> but you know what I noticed, Mike, is the Thalio Ma- Mira and Major and the Mega and the Massive, those are the other bigger Thalios that are physically larger as well. They all have side venting. Mm. And and maybe that's just because they haven't like they haven't gone back and redesigned those cases, or I don't know, maybe they have, but I've noticed they seem to have a beefier cooling system. Like the Mega and the Massive, especially, have a lot beefier side cooling. Maybe there's something there. I'm sure we'll find out. I, I, it's something I want to experiment more with. And I think they could probably rightfully argue that it's not actually a problem because you know they've tested these things. Um, just to say that they are intricate and obsessive over details. <laughs> Is is understating uh, how much they look at this stuff. I mean, they made a panel that's the that's the PCP that chips in their damn uh, keyboard for the yeah yeah. It it looks so great actually. I may still end up buying one once I do the OBS test if it you know everything works out fine there in a real world usage. Like when I used it as my desktop for a couple of weeks, psh, totally fine, totally fine. Good solid device. You know, you, you got to live with uh, certain quirks of Linux when you have a large device like that, like hooking up multiple displays can still be a little glitchy, but all manageable and just such a rocking system. You can really just push it and it just takes it. So uh, I really enjoyed my time with the Thaleo. I'll give it I'll give it a chance as an OBS machine, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. But I'm glad you got one. I, I think it's I think it's going to be good. Yeah, it's nice. I you know, it's funny. I I'm. I'm, I just went down a rabbit hole on this weird AMD GPU that I bought, mostly because I'm very sure that GPU prices are going down soon. I just feel pretty strongly about that. I wrote that in my review, but I didn't realize how low end this beige gobby again, awful name. I mean, seriously, AMD, just crap. It's holding up pretty well. I mean, I was playing Spider-Man Remastered on it, getting decent frame rates. Uh, it looked about as good as it would on a PS4. I, my PS5, you know, pumped all the way up, could could probably beat it. Then maybe there's tweaks I could make and be a little more aggressive, right, in Lutris to make it run better. I'm kind of interested in what this new AMD architecture is going to do, Thaleo aside, to be honest. This is uh, very affordable. This was a, a $200 upgrade. 
And the the you know the great thing about those AMD cards, they're going to work great with your Linux desktop. It's not going to be a struggle. You're not going to have to go get some sort of weird NVIDIA package and run through some sort of install script. You just plug it in. If you've got a modern kernel and they've upstreamed the drivers, it just works. And Well, and usually for a couple of years, they're the same drivers. So you just buy another one, a bigger one when you have the money, and you can almost always just swap it in. Yeah, if I were buying now, I think I'd probably go with a with a you know a medium mid of the road mid road that I could get by with that I'd be happy with today GPU. But I don't think I'd I'd go for like the the biggest high end purchase you could just yet. I agree with you. Wait a little bit, save a few hundred bucks. Yeah, I think so. That's the way to do it. But Thalia is a it's a really solid system. Uh, it made for a great Nix box, and it, obviously it ran pop great as well. So I clearly I. I want to say I was tempted. Do I want to say it's the best desktop PC right now that I know of? And I, I think it might be when you consider the unique case design, the work that goes into the internals, just how slick of a system over it all is. And like the quality of like the corners, the port holes, just the button even for the power. All of it is so refined, so obsessed over. I just don't know of any other desktop PC with that kind of care, that kind of uniqueness to it. It's it's a pretty special machine. Boostagram. Let's do a few boosts. What do you say? Boostagram. Boostagram. Woden501 boosting with 5,000 sats. He says, I got a future trip idea. Once the new Intel fab opens in Columbus, get a tour set up and then take a trip way over on the I-70 to meet us Midwest folk. We've got craft beer and hotels. Some of them have beer taps right in the rooms, he writes. What? That sounds very dangerous. Holy crap. I would wreck myself. That's amazing. I Okay, I, Woden, you got to boost in and tell me which hotels specifically. That, I, I do want to get to the Midwest. So we're doing our West Coast tour right now. I'm in Sacramento as we record. Because, you know, we did the East Coast. We did the, we did the, we did the, like, Denver area. So it seemed like it was time to do the West Coast. But I, you know, there's, so, there's still so much room in between. So Midwest is definitely on my list. So send me the deets. Sergeant Apple boosted in with 250 sats. Boost! Oh, I'm sorry, 2,500 sats. He says, on the future is the web idea you guys have been kicking around. Do we think Apple will ever come around and get on board with the web? Looking at iCloud web apps, they're definitely short on web skills. Won't they just fight and stay native until the end? Yes. Yes, they'll totally fight and stay native till the bitter end. Till, yeah. Why would they do that? Why would they not do that? I mean, and do you think long term, this is what I mean, like I'm talking long term, maybe this is what makes their platform less relevant. You got to remember, like the vast majority of software that gets written is for businesses and other you know, organizations, not the whiz bangy. Let's blog about it, uh, you know, indie apps. Right. So. I. I guess both things can kind of be true, right? Like, I, I think they're super cool. Rogue Amoeba panic. They can still exist. And that's awesome. Uh, as native uh, Apple platform developers, for example. And I'm sure, although there really isn't the equivalent on Windows, right? That's kind of the weird part, but okay. But the vast majority of us who are either, you know, doing contracting or are writing, you know, business type applications or even utility applications are probably going to be better suited targeting web technologies. Uh, The big pink elephant in the gin bar here is... (laughs) What the hell happened to WebAssembly? Like, I'm I'm on a Carmen Sandiego level mission here. Yeah. Like, I I've I've, I've I did dip my toes into certain subreddits, Ugh. and it just seems like there's like some zealotry 
but not a lot getting done. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Okay. All right. Well, let me know if you ever do find where in the hell WebAssembly is. I sure would like to know. Well, I'm hoping it's not like that weird spinoff of Carmen San Diego where it's where in time is WebAssembly. I guess you mean a couple of dinosaurs and Richard Stallman having to go get it. You know, that's where it goes. That's where it ends up. So it always ends up with RMS. Tire boosts in with uh, 2100 sats. And he says, what is Mike and your opinion on what is better web apps or electron apps? From what I can tell, most electron apps are just web apps and browsers that have lack security. Also, he says, shame on you for getting him back into Magic the Gathering. He'd sold his cards six months ago, but you talking about it is making him regret selling them. Oh, and he says on the uniform topic, pearl snap shirts are awesome and boots are where it's at. So uh, if you had to pick web app or electron app, do you have a choice? Mm. Do you have a preference, I should say? Yeah. Um, I would say web app, but my my revealed behavior seems to be electron app for like things like Slack and Element IO or Element, whatever. Yeah, me too. I, I would answer web app, but then, of course... I like having I like having things as their own. I just like the proper and, notifications. Yeah, and, that and, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but by the way, on the Magic Gathering, you don't need to buy a big collection, my man. Buy singles, you'll be fine. There you go. Yeah, you'll be fine. Just get a few singles. Where could it go from there? Nowhere. It's not going to go anywhere after that. Oh, but the beer taps in the hotel rooms were great. That's fine. Everybody's going to be okay. <laughs> okay, you got me. All right. Amar boosted in with 1,024 sats. He says, hello, Chris. Hello, Mike. I wanted to be a hipster, too. I looked into Fleet as soon as they announced it, but I, I saw that they say in their FAQ section that it's mainly written in Kotlin, which means it runs on a JVM. All their stuff does. Yeah, that's true. They're considering open sourcing parts of the product or the technology behind it. Both of those points are a big no to me, especially today in the VS Code era. But thanks for the show. Yeah, it seems like uh, Amar also wanted to be a hipster. Didn't work for him. I'm concerned about JetBrains if before Fleet even officially ships as a product, you and others are saying, where does this fit? And why are they doing it like this? That seems like a bad sign. I know your point was the business market may keep it alive, but I don't know, man. Just a little bit of a red flaggy. You know what I mean? Just a little red flaggy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the IE6 level dominance of VS Code is uh, it's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> and Optimus Gray rounds this out with a big old row of uh, McDucks, 22,222 sets. Quacka waka, it's a treasure. Yippee! And we're going to see Optimus Gray at JPL, too. He says, I'm not a CPA, but I have a program for them. You may want to see if you can write off the recording mobile office when you're on a work trip. Again, not a CPA. He says, I also gave a listen to the Drew cleaned up version, and it's weird because he always listens live. I miss the post-show title talks, but, you know, I'm a member of the QA feed, so perhaps I'll get it that way. I need to be smarter about this kind of stuff. He's right. I could probably write off my mobile office. There's probably a lot of things I could be writing off that I'm not. I, I, I hate to solicit advice over the internet on this kind of thing. But if this is your area, specifically, if you're kind of familiar with what I do as a business, reach out. My tax bill is crushing and I need every defense I have. So and I say that with no joke. You wouldn't believe it. You know, you just would not believe how reamed I get as a small business owner. So uh, I, I, I'd believe it. Oh, yeah. No, I know you would. Oh, and the CPAs out there. They know. <laughs> but I think the people who just work nine to fives have no idea, have no idea how much money 
uh, we end up paying. It's cre- it's incredible. Also, I just want to give a shout out to Tackoff751 who said, go check out Web3 is doing great. It's a number three. Web3 is doing great. Where the author is doing a fantastic job of documenting all of the ridiculous things happening in the stupid world of crypto and Web3. And it's brutal. Didn't like the IRS dude or the head of the Fed be like, this is all taxable securities. SEC said that about Ethereum the day okay. after Ethereum yeah. announced their proof of work. No, I'm sorry, proof of stake merge. There, you know, for a security, if that one of the basic tests is, is there a group of people managing it? And is it something you're investing in expecting a return based on the actions of those group of people? That's Ethereum. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these cryptos have a group of people that are asking you to invest in their thing implying that you're going to get a return and it's called the howie test there's a there's multiple aspects of it but that's one of the things that makes you a security and when you're a security it's a totally different ball game and you can't promote it like you can say like property or real estate you know like software right right you can say anything yeah so no but this is on this guy's site uh, web3 is going great this is the story september 22nd irs gets permission for john doe summons for taxpayers who don't report crypto transactions yeah now that's for a particular exchange but yeah that's what's going to happen now oh, okay oh yeah oh yeah this is you know potentially long term a good thing we need a hunger games kind of cleaning out of these crappy crypto scams we need somebody to come through and just take them all out because so many of them are pump and dump schemes where there is I'll just super brief because I think people need to know this. All of these cryptos after Bitcoin have a group of people behind them. Ethereum is included in this list. And the way that it all worked is that now all of them have a small group of developers and they got what's called a pre mine. So before the crypto even went live to the rest of the public, maybe they get like 20 million coins or a million coins or whatever their setup is. So they get what's called a pre-mine. They get access to the coins before anyone else does. Then once the crypto goes public on exchanges, people start buying and trading it. Well, if you got something, a million of something for free, and now it's worth a dollar, right? It doesn't have to go big. That's why so many of these cryptos are worth pennies. If it goes worth 50 cents and you had a million of it, you're doing great. And so now you sell. And so you got the crypto token for nothing and then you dump it on the market. And it's just this process that you repeat over and over again. Ethereum is just a more complex version of this because they've done all of these little things to constrain liquidity to make it easier for them to sell without causing the price to dump. And now they've launched proof of staking where you take your Ethereum and you give it to a Coinbase or a Kraken, you give it to a third party and they stake it in the network and you get yield off of that. The funny thing is the developers have literally not written the code or published the code to unstake. Once you stake your Ethereum. That seems very suspicious. Right? It's locked Mm. up until they write the code. And it won't be until some big releases down the road. And software is always on time, even in the most honest case. Yeah, Dude, the, the proof of stake merger was delayed by seven years. They were trying to get it out for, it took them seven years to ship the proof of stake merger. And now they're saying with the next merge, that's, or the next merger too, that's when you'll be able to unstake. In the meantime, the founders that got all their pre-mined coins can sell, 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 and you can't sell your Ethereum because it's locked up staked. You cannot withdraw it. So they can now sell on the market with impunity 
and people can't pull out. So it locks the liquidity and it locks the price in. It is a brilliant scam. They are pulling all the users of Ethereum and everybody. Oh, I want yield. I want yield. I want yield. And they're all falling for it. But I just I can't believe we're watching this go down. And Bitcoin suffers from none of this. There's no central person. There was no pre-mine. There's no staking. It's not a security. It has been declared by the SEC and the IRS as property years ago, reaffirmed by Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, multiple times. But yet we still see all these horrible scams that take grandma's savings and they just need to be washed out. They all need to go. So maybe we'll see some of them. Some of them fade away. In the meantime, I remain here skeptical, keeping an eye on all things to call it out as I see it. <laughs> I'm watching them. I've got their number. I know what they're up to. I see that if you buy some of these crazy cryptos, you are their liquidity for exiting. You understand that you're providing them exit liquidity. That's how all of this works. My old man taught me something a long time ago. If you're sitting down at the poker table and you don't know who the sucker is... uh you're the sucker. You're the sucker. Get, get, get out of <laughs> Yeah. Yep. That's pretty much it. So that's Chris's little pro tip for the internet. So Web3 is doing just great. You can go check that out. JPEGs. Who would have thought they'd be so easy to sell? Right. God damn it. I should have thought of this. <laughs> yeah, that could have been our, that could have been us, dude. J, J coin. Misa here. Yeah. Misa on the blockchain. <laughs> we could have done it, dude. We, we were on the air. We could have done it. Ro we could still do Robecoin. We could do Robecoin. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You know, I know. I knew I was in a, a good place because uh, listener Jeff here, where he's put us up, he's got a coat of robe. So I knew he was good people. You know? You know, he's a man of taste and, and distinction, at least. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I want to say thank you to our members for investing in our content production, for literally keeping us on the road this week. We'll have a new Codely pretty soon for you because the quarter is coming up. So if you'd like to become a member, coderqa.co is where you go. Or you can be like Optimus and become a member to all the shows. Get all the special features at jupiter.party. Anywhere you want to send the good people, Mr. Dominic. Go to dominicm.com and read all my Linuxy updates. And we should say, if we didn't make it clear enough, your written Thalia review is up there as well. It is. And uh, there might be something this weekend, depending on how whacked I get by this hurricane. Oh, man. I hope everything goes okay. You let me know. Hey, listen, if not, it would, you know, we actually did a show. Do you remember when I was up in Jersey? Yes. We did one during Sandy. I remember. So I'm pretty sure we'll be back Monday at noon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific over at Jupiter.tube. You can follow the show at Coda Radio Show and the network is at Jupiter Signal. Links to what we talked about today are Coder.show slash 485. Our contact form is over there. Send us an email. It's a big part of the show. We need your emails. We're running low. And of course, you can subscribe there as well. And last but not least, you can boost with a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. See you next week. 